Welcome to the Westside Personalized Podcast, where real educators share their classroom-tested, learner-approved personalization practices. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion and are able to find a few valuable takeaways from the podcast. And so without further ado, let's go to the pod! All right, back from the podcast today, and I'm really excited. I've been waiting for a while, actually, to get a chance to sit down and talk with Dr. Ginger Starcy-Oval here today about personalized learning and some of the work that she's done uh, in our middle school, uh, in Westside Middle School here. So um, I guess to kind of start things off, give us a little bio, a little background about yourself and uh, kind of history and education and those, those things. Well, I came to the district in 2007 after having completed my two master's degrees, one in German literature and one in education. I worked for a couple years here as a teacher, as the German teacher at the middle school, and in 2009 I began my doctorate in education. It took me five and a half years, and I successfully completed my PhD, and that focus was on what students' impression of effective technology integration is in the classroom and really representing the student voice of how they feel technology enables them to be more creative and own take more ownership of their work. Just those two elements alone translate then eventually into a higher level of self-regulation when it comes to completing their homework or proofreading their homework, deeper engagement, and over um, a longer span of time, deeper engagement will hopefully and theoretically turn into higher achievement. Yeah. So I focus my research on that and have continued to kick butt ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of want to like pick apart some of that, I guess, um, before we even get to like what's going on in your classroom now and say that, uh, you know, one of our five elements is technology. And so where, where did that process start for you then as far as, um, you know, your doctoral studies and, and why, why start with tech? Because you can tell that it sort of grew from there. And um, it's the fifth of the five characteristics of personalized nice. learning. But for me, I guess it started at the top with laptops being issued to eighth graders, and I wanted to take full advantage of it. I took a couple courses on the concept of Web 2.0 and all of the various tools that became available. And during the course, we would be introduced to a particular tool. And as my homework, I would just take what I learned about that application and immediately integrate it into the classroom. So while I was teaching German grammar and vocabulary, I was simultaneously also teaching new um, tech tools and skills. And what I really started to see emerge was the creativity and the unique tweaks that students were putting into their assignments. And I was just so um, impressed and inspired by the level of detail that they would put into something just to express what their three favorite foods were <laughs> or what type of gifts they would give to their friends on their birthdays. Uh, whatever the arbitrary context was for the assignment, um, allowing them to express their ideas with technology really allowed them, um, gave them the chance to take it to an, another level. And it well surpassed anything I ever saw on a um, paper test. Okay. The verbs were still being conjugated, but the level at which the student was investing their effort into this technology project versus whatever was in front of them on a piece of paper was pretty uh, obvious. Okay, so would you say then that like the tech, the tech piece 
that that was sort of well and first of all i love your like like growth mindset with that right like yeah i just learned about this yesterday but let's do it mm-hmm. <laughs> let's just go ahead and implement this i'm still um, like that good and i think it takes you have to get to that place where you are a little bit uncomfortable sometimes and be willing to take risks and, and in another podcast i had with matt cook recently we said that students tend to be pretty forgiving too mm-hmm. uh whenever you know, you, you go, hey, guys, I just learned about this. I'm trying something new. Um, here's why I think it's beneficial for us. And, and they're willing to, to kind of move with you on that. But to what degree then, as you gave them these tech pieces, did choice then become a part, not not like with the tech, a part of what maybe led to that engagement? Am I steering the question too much there? No, but no, no. I'm hearing I, I, your response. Yeah, absolutely. And it's what I found in my research, too. I'm going to a conference in Denver in a few weeks, and I used a quote from some of my data from uh, my dissertation, and it was something, I'm going to paraphrase here, but the student said something like, having the ability just to make one sentence different than all of my classmates made me feel like I've accomplished something more. So instead of me showing them a clip art and, you know, tell me what's happening in the picture, Johan is driving a car. Elsa is watering the grass and Sven is mowing the lawn. I'm giving them the opportunity to decide maybe that um, Klaus is walking the dog and it's a picture of actually their dog and themselves walking it. It's just they can make it their own. They can those little pieces of things that make it theirs, the customization, that autonomy, they deeper invest what they're doing. It's a deeper investment. Yeah, and I think those all like kind of um, develop towards that idea of agency, which is something we talk about with personal learning a lot. That it's just trying to foster that, you know, belief that in what you're doing and that uh, you can control what matters. So like efficacy pieces in mm-hmm. there too, with all. So and I, I mean, even if the choice is simply what the graphic looks like, or which sentences, which chores you're going to use to describe, on a big universal scale, they may not seem like there's a wide variety. But if a student can show me that they can use proper subject pronouns and conjugate verbs, whatever the subject pronoun is and whatever the verb is, I can assess their skill through whichever medium or illustration they want to demonstrate it. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it definitely does. And it's just cool to like think about what that means as far as what additional things you are sort of teaching with that option, with those options built in. You know, in addition, like, yes, you're still getting the same. They might score... Uh, the engagement will hopefully lead to better scores like you talked about. But I mean, even if they scored exactly the same as they did before, because the assignments are, are essentially, you know, asking for the same things. Um, it's just so cool that they had to like go through that additional cognitive process of like, I could use anything. So the way I, so, the yeah. way I gathered um, two things lead me back to this idea of it being personalized. The, I chose 10 students and we did what were called uh, walkthroughs. So after each assessment, I scheduled an appointment with a student. They would sit down, we'd walk through their project, and I would, whatever that summative assessment was, and I would ask them, why that? Why that? What happened when you did that? Why that? And it was just really interesting to see that they actually had rationale for the various elements that went into their projects. And the more they're cognitively processing the content, the more they're learning it. So then that process, um, when I was collecting my data, I focused specifically on summative assessments. So at the end of each unit, we did a project instead of a technology-based project instead of writing a test or completing a test. I afterwards walked through the project with them while they identified all the steps. But while they were working on the project, I would schedule out five days for the summative. 
and I always encourage them to use their notes to be peer editing along the way. They'd have mini sessions with me and it became kind of a class joke that for anybody else who walked in, it might seem like they're cheating on a summative because their notes are out, but that is still the formative part of the learning process. While they're creating the project, just because it's a summative project, their learning shouldn't be done. And if they're able to start the beginning of the project and by the end of the project, all of their nouns are capitalized as they should be in German and they caught that through the editing process along the way, there's a skill that they've improved on. My deficiency might be verb endings. Yours is that you always forget to capitalize your nouns. Well, through those interactions of peer editing and with the teacher, you are always finding whatever that deficiency is and you're able to fix it. So that kind of hones into the student's um, individual abilities as well, which yeah. I think lends itself to being personalized. Because I hear in that too, that's the whole knowing your learner, right? Mm -hmm. And the opportunity to like get in there and talk about process. And, uh, and as you mentioned, they might still be learning different facets of what you're going through uh, in the example you just gave. Uh, there's pace, right, as far mm -hmm. as like allowing them to uh, dictate which, how to allocate their time to the things that they need. It's all about uh, self-regulating themselves. Themselves, it's redundant. But. <laughs> no, I know what you mean, though. So that, so if we're talking about that being during your doctoral work, um, what has been sort of the evolution of that? Like, what would we see now if we were to walk into your classroom uh, as that is sort of? I don't want to. I don't want to make it too <laughs> flowery, but as it has blossomed <laughs> in your classroom. That's a, I'm no, terrible. We might have to edit that part. But yeah, what, what does I, it look like? I think what that looks like is um, you need a panoramic of my classroom. Because for that sort of autonomy and focus to happen, there needs to be a level of comfort. Because if they're going to take risks with expressing themselves in a second language, they have to feel comfortable enough to make a mistake and then own it and learn from it. So a big part of that is, is uh, that I've maintained is always being sure to create an environment that is conducive for students to learn in, specifically this population of students, um, middle schoolers. I try to make, outside of the assessment data research collection process with my dissertation, I still try to make my instructional approaches to be as relevant to them as possible. When you arrived, I'm creating this activity for tomorrow, and instead of using general universal clip arts, I've specifically chosen to focus on video game characters because it's relevant to the individuals that I'm teaching, so they're going to be more likely to want to participate because they recognize the people. If anything else, they're entertained. Part of engagement is, is to entertain, the novelty of giving them that chance. Um, the follow-up activity, the extension at home, it's kind of like the idea of a fantasy football, but what was the creative? Oh, I'm having them select their own friend circle. So after we do this activity where they have to introduce and say how old each of these video game characters are, they'll see as it has been modeled in class. So then the assignment is that they're supposed to choose their own circle of friends and create an introduction for each of them. And then they have to ch include themselves in that circle. And if they want to represent themselves as Yoshi, they can. If they want to use their own picture, they can. An avatar, whatever they want. But at the end of the day, I'm not grading the images. I'm grading the, their capacity to be able to introduce somebody by their name and their age. So I don't use a textbook at all. And I don't only use technology, but that's an example of how assessment type pieces have worked their way into my 
everyday instructional approaches. So as I'm listening to that too, because I mean, that's kind of like, I just like, oh, this sounds great. And the parts that I'm, I'm curious about, we'll just kind of pursue here, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I will try to put a picture up in the resources of this podcast, uh, of the classroom. In the resources, you said? Yeah, in the resources. Exactly. Okay. Um, so check it out. Uh, so maybe we can like look at the space in like by accessing that. Uh, and then it sounds like also by the content or it's almost like a branding piece really <laughs> by having these characters that you're bringing in what what other ways you said that really this is all driven by like how comfortable they are the willingness to sort of fail forward in a sense um and, and I, I think that fail forward yeah and then climate mixed with like environment you know and so what other things do you do to try to foster environment that allows that to happen I think um there's three key elements and it's um, giving them autonomy, which I mentioned, mm-hmm. um, helping them feel competent. And I reinforce their competency by scaffolding their I'm curious about that. Yeah. Um, Can you, because that, that ends up being the challenge, I think, for a lot of, you know, and people as they're listening, that becomes a, like, functional application that, uh, for example, when, when Dr. Rickabaugh first came and talked to us about personalized learning, he said, you know, we'll just allow students to demonstrate their, ma- their mastery of content and understanding in whatever way that they want. That's great for some, and there's others that really struggle with that. And over two or three years, it sort of started to make more sense to me, like, oh, this is what it could look like to help everybody eventually get to that place. And I feel that with my understanding and comfort level with personalized learning, that portion is still the the danger zone. I'm like, oh, wow, am I really ready to relinquish so much control that I teach them, this is how you conjugate a verb, now go find some verbs and write a story that interests you? Yikes, right? but teaching them that they are competent, a gradual release of control. Um, yesterday's lesson was a part of introducing people. And um, for the first individual, I, I asked them to write sentences regarding each of the visual prompts. So they looked at the first prompt and... Um, Explain visual prompt to me, I So guess. it was a picture of SpongeBob. Okay. And with a question that said, V heist air, what is he called? How is he called? And so I gave them a sentence starter. And... Their sentence starter was air heist blank. So all they had to do was write down SpongeBob, copied the sentence, right? The next one was Tina from Bob's Burgers, V heist Z. And instead of, here's the scaffolding. The second sentence starter was just the first pronoun, not the verb, not the name. The third image was a mirror. And now the pronoun is changing from he or she to you. And instead of giving them a sentence starter for the third one, I identified that it was a mirror to help them trigger oh it's being asked about me so what would the response i'm the focus of the sentence i'm what i see in in the mirror so just little steps of scaffolding and i try to give them hints i use clues around the room i use music i use a lot of manipulatives in class that are created using files but they end up getting cut up and stuffed into envelopes and passed out that way and they're being moved around on the desk so just varying my instructional approaches and encouraging them. I, do, I, I tell students, and it's kind of cheesy, that if I had like this great thug life tattoo, it wouldn't say thug life, it, <laughs> but it would be in old English letters, and it would say, to teach, not trick. And so I'll just say, what's my tattoo say? And they'll say, to teach, not trick. They have to trust me that I'm not going to trick them into learning something. I'm going to guide them into figuring it out for themselves. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's difficult because it creates that dissonance that place of oh what's expected of me as long as they can trust me they'll figure it out just let 
So I build a lot of that on trust, which is the third component. So it's autonomy, competency, and relatedness or relatability. I want to relate to them, establish that trust, and let them know that I believe in them and I care about their success. And for each student, success not, might not be, I'm going to keep going back to verb conjugation because people understand that idea, grammatically speaking. Um, success for Joey might be perfect conjugation. Success for Susie might be coming to class and participating once a day, every day. Whether her participation is perfect or not, if, that's, if she's participated and that's a big thing, then we'll celebrate that. So I like to give them voice and choice and believe in them, or at least so they can believe in themselves. Sorry for being so wordy. No, I think that's really, <laughs> I think that's really good. I'm just sitting here, you know, with uh, thoughts firing and wanting to, to come in and, and watch here sometime, too, and, and check out my favorite cartoon characters and <laughs> learn a little chances bit about are, German. And... Chances are you'll see it. I yesterday learned uh, officially how you determine the gender of a um, Pikachu, Oh. for example. And that is, if Pikachu's tail is shaped like a heart, it's female. Okay. If it is not shaped like heart, it's obviously a male Pikachu. <laughs> the things you'll learn in the podcast sometimes. <laughs> and that you can learn from students. And I always give them shots out. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, some seventh graders taught me this yesterday. You guys, look at this. Did you know that? And of course, they're like, duh, Frau, we knew. But I own it. I'm, I make mistakes, and I own them as a form of modeling how we... You know, we don't have to be perfect as long as we're striving to better ourselves. Well, and, and there's so many overlaps with all the things we're talking about here, but that's the relatedness. That's being real. I've talked to new to the profession teachers before and said, you just got to, like, prove that you're wired right. You know? Yeah. And it's a really, like, simple way of saying it, but, um, <laughs> so you know, it's, it's that you have interests, right? And that you, um, some things make you really passionate and, and there's other things that you get really, like, like disappointed about or frustrated with. And, and uh, not that you want to go against PBIS when you go to those places, but that it's okay to be, like, that there are times where you just have to kind of keep it real. Oh, and, tough love is real, for yeah. sure, in my classroom, uh, and I, it's because I have expectations. Mm -hmm. And I think that when students see that, then you do get that relatedness, that trust piece built in. Um, um, when, when you can genuinely be interested in the tale of a Pikachu. <laughs> you know, and, um, I know one of the other elements of personalized learning is flexible spaces. Mm -hmm. So here's kind of my tweak on that. Cool. And, this is a, yeah, this is one of the last topics I was going to reach here, actually, so I'm glad you're already going there. Um, I work within the capacity of these four walls. I try to make them as inviting and input-rich as possible. The flexible space concept for me, though, also ties back to a respect piece. I don't assign seating arrangements until they're necessary. And I'm really clear with students about wanting to show them respect as they enter their building as seventh graders or once they've gone to the, you know, the upper echelons of eighth grade, one of the Ooh. ways, right, one of the ways <laughs> that I can demonstrate respect is allowing them the, the right or the privilege to choose a seat that is going to be successful for their learning and allow them to be comfortable. And then when I see their naughty behaviors or off-task behaviors, socializing, socializing, whatever it is, uh, I have no hesitation in saying, did you choose the seat that's most conducive for your learning today or most conducive for your socializing? And if you can keep your socializing at a level where your learning exceeds your socializing, I'm cool with it. But if not, then I'm going to have to encourage you or direct you to choose a different seat. 
if it continues, the consequence will eventually be that because I've shown you the respect and you're not utilizing the responsibility that comes with that by choosing the right type of seat, um, I'm going to have to create a seating arrangement. It allows me to not have to create a seating arrangement right away. And it gives them the sensation of having autonomy. They get to choose where the mm -hmm. seat. The, and if um, Joey wants to sit over there one day and then wants to sit over here another day, my theory is as long as you're not displacing a person who feels comfortable over here, that's totally okay. I one year intentionally left fewer desks in my classroom than there were students. And I'd put a tapestry out on the floor and say, first come, first serve. You can either sit at a desk or sit on a floor or I'll make an accommodation for you. I also keep the pillows and stuffed animals out. I, and I had an instructional round in here yesterday. And one of the questions or feedback was, what's up with the stuffed animals and, <laughs> and pillows? And it wasn't something I had come up with a pedagogical rationale for. It was like, what do you do with stuffed animals that your students give you over the years? I put them out and they're comfortable with them and it makes it a softer, not to sound punny, but a softer learning environment, right? They're comfortable. And yeah, an eighth grade boy is going to cuddle with a teddy bear in here and not be ridiculed for it because it's a comfort zone. Gosh, that's really interesting. I've never, like you said, come across uh, that, that as an example, but that pink I, it makes sense. Yeah, is like the, the prize. That and the rainbow <laughs> unicorn over there, it, I mean, doesn't, Everybody wants it. <laughs> <laughs> so people show up to class early and are excited. And those little things bring a great energy too. Yeah. You know, when there's something to look forward to that you're in a hurry to get the And class it allows me for. to leverage, right? I'm, yeah. Oh, I... you're not going to be on point. Looks like I'm taking. Her the name's pink Floctopus. Okay. <laughs> that's why I was like floundering for. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's. Uh, and you know what that sort of mirrors too. I've like recently because I have a, a six-year-old and a three-year-old gotten into the love and logic principles, um, and that basically, I mean, if you really want to like whittle a lot of that down, it's just, just giving choices. Like mm -hmm. how how frequently can I give um, choices in situations where I'd otherwise dictate to you, and that by like extending that opportunity for you to make a decision, that I'm showing you, you respect. Yes, and that that's in there, and that ultimately then leads to adults who are able to navigate their world for the best for sure. uh, possible outcomes, right? Like they, they no longer yeah, react based just upon what I feel like doing in the moment. You kind of can like accurately yeah, assess what's absolutely. going on at any given time and try to do what's in your own best interest. When people ask me what I teach, I say I teach students. Um, I have the privilege of teaching the content of German, but any given day I'm teaching so much more than German. Mm -hmm. how to make a good choice. Today, for my seventh grade lesson plan, it even says um, in, the, in my agenda, option A is a hallway activity, option B is a table partner activity, and I let them vote. And ultimately, if they go to the hallway activity, that consequence or sacrifice is less time to start their homework in class, but how much they enjoy getting out of their seats to flexible spacing, go into the hallway and be loud. Yeah. The other teachers don't appreciate it as much, but I'm <laughs> option A and option B. The other little day, I do options with my kids too, and my two-and-a-half-year-old little girl was like, that's not my option. Of course, she said it in two-year-old talk, but for my integrity, I won't impersonate her. <laughs> but I was like, wait, that's not your option? No, this is your option. You can choose it or not. That's not my option. You are way too sassy. Anyway, sorry for digressing. Oh, no, but those all, and, and you have like boundaries established a lot too. You know, we're going to work on things for class. Oh, okay. Well, there's the bell. I guess that's it. we're done with the podcast right now. Save Ginger, by the thank bell. you so very much uh, for getting a chance to visit with us today. Um, and hopefully we can do a follow up at some point uh, in the future. So. It was all my pleasure. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks for talking with me. Yep.
Well, that's a wrap on another great episode. For more information or to contact us directly, you can email our team at personalized.learning at westside66.net. As always, thanks for tuning in and learning from the Westside Personalized Podcast.